1: Welcome to have Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, we're back. We've returned to a world of volatility where stocks can be up huge in the morning only a nosedive in the afternoon, and then recovers. We approach the close. Like today, where the Dow ultimately gained 73 points. S&P inched up 0.05%. NASDAQ advanced 0.12% after what I regard as a crazy session. What do you do when the market goes all haywire? Well, I'll tell you what I've been doing you fall back on long-term themes so that you can use these gyrations to your advantage as they give you a chance to buy high-quality stocks into weakness, like two of them that we're going to feature on later in the show. I know many of you are scared of buying on the way down. I understand that. You fear that something's happening, something that's bigger and better that you don't know about. But that's almost never the case. And even if there is something terrible lurking, given the fabulous strength in the economy, both here and around the globe, I think we can handle it. You see, there's no systemic risk right now like we had in the financial crisis. Instead, I want you to look at this wild action the same way you'd approach a flash sale. There was a time when I used to say that a stock market sell-off was kind of like a sale at the mall. But these days, electronic trading has made it so that sell-offs may not last long enough for you to make it to the mall before they vanish. You can't debate what to buy. You can't even try things on anymore. It's more like a flash sale that might last just minutes. So you need to have a list like the kind of list that I put together for club members of actionlordsplus.com, where you can say, that's it, my buy price has been hit, time to pull the trigger. No, I'm not going to get emotional, I'm just in. Don't buy, don't buy, buy, buy. This way, your decision-making process is bloodless and unemotional. You've already made the call during a calmer, non-battle-oriented moment. You're just waiting for lower prices to give you a better entry point for a company that is that was, may have been overvalued earlier that's now undervalued. What kind of secular growth theme should you be gravitating toward in this environment? I mean, why not just buy any stock with good earnings that's cheaper than you think it should be? I'll tell you why. The reason we have volatility is because big institutions flit in and out of stocks based on data points that may or may not be relevant to you. But regardless, they trigger action. Five, six, 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 six. For example, take this two-day sell-off we just plowed through. The cause? Sunday night, we saw interest rates, the 10-year Treasury to be specific, pick up to 2.7%, rising from barely more than 2% back in September, which is a big percentage increase, even if it doesn't sound like much in absolute terms. When interest rates reach a new milestone, as it just did, there's tons of index fund money that flees the market, hence the two-day decline. This was exacerbated yesterday by concerns about healthcare after Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett, and JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon got together to form a nonprofit that's meant to improve the technology of healthcare while bringing down the cost. The main thrust of the sell off, though, has to do with a belief that if interest rates go up too far, too fast, then the global recovery could be derailed, something that the Fed considered in its statement today. So even though the non-cyclical healthcare stocks were the worst performers yesterday, the real damage occurred in the industrial leaders, which are the companies that would be most threatened by higher interest rates, at least theoretically. And I say theoretically because in my time, I've seen people make fortunes in the industrials, even when the 10-year yielded not 2.7, but 7.2 percent. Still, it's risky to try to buy stocks that are right in the blast radius of the decline, which brings me back to this notion of what's known as secular growth names. Now, the thing about secular growth is that every manager and her brother wants it. CEOs don't want to fall prey to cycles. That's how you get that boom and bust stuff. I was debating with my friend Mark Chaykin of Chaykin Analytics at a teach-in today about semiconductors and whether semiconductors, for example, Long a boom-bust industry, have lost their cyclicality and now are, indeed, secular growth stocks growing over time. Are chips that go into the Internet of Things or cell phones part of a cycle? Or are they looking at consistent growth for years to come? It's a tough call. If you're making chips for autonomous cars, you may think you're in a secular growth business, but you could be pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised if the economy slows down. For instance, if it really slows, auto sales peak. Then what are you left with? But if you're making them for cell phones, like Qualcomm does, for almost all the major cell phone makers around the globe, judging by the strong quarter they reported tonight, I think you've got something lasting. All right, so where are the terrific, great secular growth themes, and how can we get them to work in our favor? Let's start with the most obvious one, and my favorite. Let's start with aerospace. We've heard over and over again that the demand for aircraft has to do with great Rising global middle classes around the globe. Billions of people who can finally afford to fly for the first time. There simply aren't enough planes for all these travelers. They may not be for years and years. The premier example, Boeing. Now, you, and I, you know we've liked this stock for ages. And less than two months ago, we had a CEO at Dennis Molenberg on the show. Stock was at 282. I concluded it could go to $400 based on the strength of the fundamentals. After surging at $340, Boeing dropped a quick 3 bucks yesterday. A nice flash sale intraday, though, that doesn't, isn't reflected on the chart, where it really went down a lot. What happened next is a classic example of the rigorous nature of thematic investing. Boeing reported today, and it was an astounding quarter, and the stock zoomed up almost $17. If you had Boeing on your shopping list yesterday and bought it into that flash sale weakness, you would have done very well. In response, the whole aerospace cohort took flight, which is what you'd expect from a tailwind that powerful. Second theme, one that I've tried to address, which is electronic in-house gaming. You know we've been all over this. Thanks to the rise of the stay-at-home economy, there are tens of millions of people who love to stay home and play video games. So last night, Electronic Arts blows away the numbers, thanks to the strength of its sports franchises, but also uh, its, its Star Wars franchise. And the stock wars up 7% today. The other game publishers, Take-Two and Activision Blizzard, followed in footsteps, as does NVIDIA, because it makes the best graphics chips for PCs and the red-hot Nintendo Switch. Uh, Meanwhile, we were dazzled by the numbers last night from NVIDIA's main competitor, AMD. I told you Lisa Su would do it, the CEO. Unbelievable turn. Unbelievable. Perhaps the easiest secular growth theme to take advantage of right now is the defense business. Last night, President Trump talked about the need to bolster our defense spending in the State of the Union address. But anyone who listened to uh, Lockheed's conference call or Raytheon or Harris knows that military spending is already aggressive, both here and abroad. If these stocks wilt under fears about, say, rising interest rates, well, that's a terrific buying opportunity. Yet this military imperative trumps them any day. Finally, we can't overlook the cloud, the companies that benefit as businesses switch from on-premises software to data centers or who offer better ways to profit from big data. Now, who's the obvious? Salesforce.com, quintessential cloud play. But I would also uh, mention Workday and then ServiceNow Dynamite Quarter, both companies that automate and improve on ex- expensive back-office functions, saving their customers' fortunes. I like the tools of the cloud. I like Adobe, VMware, which seems to be back on track now as a growth vehicle. there are all sorts of rumors about how it might be diluted down to buy Dell on a reverse major, merger. Then there's Amazon with its remarkable web services division, which has become the backbone of the cloud. Of course, even among the terrific secular growth teams out there, we can find issues. We can spot problems. People are panicking out of the stock of Facebook tonight because of a weaker-than-expected monthly average user number, despite the fact that the revenue numbers are just extraordinary. I think there's a lot more there than just that monthly average user. But I get to sell off, and it's pulling down some very good tech stocks tonight to what could be bargain levels for you, tomorrow. Look, buying stocks into a precipitous decline will always carry some risk. That's why you buy gradually in stages on the way down. But the bottom line is that while nothing is risk-free, these are stocks, for heaven's sake. They're just pieces of paper. You'll do a lot better if you embrace my shopping list method so you're prepared the next time we get a flash sale like we had yesterday or during that bizarre late-day sell-off we saw today until we got a rally into the close. Let's go to Luke in Pennsylvania. Luke.
2: Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. I just had a,
3: I just had a question on uh, the stock of Under Armour. They had some new members on their board that have some great experience. And with uh, Trump's tax plan going through, do you think this is a good time to add to my position I think that they have anymore? very little
1: to do with each other. And what happened is the Under Armour woke up a sleeping giant, which is Nike, which does personalization, which is the way they do a brand. Nike's remarkable. Oh, boy, I wish Mark Parker would come on the show. And the turn in Nike has left very little room for a competitor like Under Armour. May I, we, we go to um, Shindig in California? Shindig! Yes, Booyah Kramer. Booyah, what's Shindig going on? from
0: Ventura, California. Okay, good to from have the you. The largest California wildfire and the Montecito flood killing over 20 people. But good news, my portfolio's up, and I thank you. I'm a multiple-time caller. And my, to, my question today, unfortunately, I sold my Lockheed Martin yesterday, ah. 32% up. But um, I picked up my uh, Kratos security, KTOS. I'm in a quarter position. Uh, i uh, Took a beating today. Buy, hold, sell, add to position. No, I
1: want you to add a quarter position. You do a pyramid-style buy. If it happens to get down to 10, you pull the trigger on a little bit more size. But remember, you sold highest quality for one of the lowest quality, just in terms of brand names, and I'm not in favor of that. But thank you for your third time call. Mike in Florida. Mike, Mike, Mike. Oh, yeah, Jim. Oh, yeah, Mike.
3: My question is about entertainment properties, EPR. It has about a 7% yield, recently raised a dividend about 6%, and
2: being retired, I like the monthly dividend payment. You had the CEO on your show last May and had some positive comments about it. It's down about 15% since
3: last year, so I wanted to get your current sentiment well, on the Well, the two, stock. Two, two issues
1: here. One is, and Greg Silver's terrific, is terrific, is that they are levered to motion picture. Movie houses, movie houses are on the decline, although theirs are actually a remodeled business, and it's good. And the second is the real estate investment trust, and they're down 10%. We talked about those today in our teaching, and I said, you know what? It really doesn't matter how good a real estate investment trust is right now. They're all going down. I say keep EPR, but maybe give it some time and a higher yield, like 8%, before you buy any more. All right, we're back. We're back to a volatile market, which I like. So it's time to fall back on themes, secular growth themes, like aerospace, like gaming. We're talking take two, electronic arts, like defense, and like the cloud. Oh, man, money tonight. I'm breaking down last night's State of the Union in rhetoric per share. Then we're in the midst of a biotech and pharma sell-off. What do you do Is it bad? as it seems? We're in the bright lights. I'm eyeing the ones that are working. And I'm going to sit down with one of the largest property casualty insurers in the world. First time on this show. See what's ahead for the business. Do not miss my exclusive with the best there is. Chubb. Stick with Cramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: For the most unpredictable president in modern history, what do we get in a State of the Union speech? perhaps the most predictable litany imaginable, at least when it comes to economics. Yep, if you were expecting Donald Trump to dazzle, to sort a surprise with grand plans and incredible ideas, oh, that's not what you got, not at all. Instead, he simply gave investors exactly what they wanted, and owed to an $8 trillion in additional stock market value, a pledge for more defense spending, and an added but arguably gratuitous mention, a tacked-on $500 billion to his undefined now $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan, rebuild bridges, tunnels, highways that have been shellacked by too much traffic, not enough rehab. It's ironic, but this president does indeed know what the stock market wants from him. It wants cheerleading, more defense dollars, less regulation, especially when it comes to big business and, of course, lower taxes. So let's translate the State of the Union into specific stocks. That way you can exactly know what you're getting into here. Nothing earth shattering, just some good old fashioned rhetoric per share. First, the primo group in this market is the defense group. Makes a ton of sense as Trump made sure everyone knew repeatedly his commitment to backing allies and bolstering America's military. Suggested buys Lockheed Martin off the fighter jet franchise, Harris for the radio and communications business, Raytheon for Patriot missiles, which our allies can't get enough of. Those foreign Raytheon orders now count for an astounding 32 percent of its sales. Will anything really be done on infrastructure? The president explained why there's really no such thing as a shovel ready project, because anything can be blocked at the state level by environmental impact statements or the courts. Still, the real obstacle here is Congress, where many Republicans hate spending money and many Democrats will refuse to support anything the president wants. But if Trump can get around this, well, that would be huge for Caterpillar, United Rentals. As it is, though, the strength in his stocks has more to do with commodity rallies and the strength in construction in private sector, than anything happened in Washington. In fact, I trust state budgets and private construction plans far more than federal government monies when it comes to infrastructure, despite the president's pleas. If you think I'm being too cynical, go look at the list of the largest ongoing projects that U.S. Concrete, the heavyweight in the business, is involved in. Bridges backed by local authorities, headquarters mostly from Silicon Valley, relocations to Texas. You never see huge federal commitments on that list. Congress doesn't want to spend the money. However, even if it's unlikely with the idea of an infrastructure package in the air, it's worth listening to John Fiorola. John's the CEO of Newcorp. We had him on the show just last night. The largest steel market in America delivered its best quarter in a decade. is not tilting his production toward bridge and highway steel. Like the Bethlehem Steel of old, think about those giant steel, long, long girds for the arizona narrow bridge. But he is building a $250 million state-of-the-art mill for rebar near Kansas City, and that's the base of construction steel. Stocks cheaper, even if you assume nothing happens on the infrastructure front. Bye, bye, bye. Finally, if you want something less obvious, then think healthcare. Why healthcare? Because it's not really a focus. The president's done trying to dismantle Obamacare for the moment. Oh, sure, he's throwing, he likes lower drug prices, but he's not going to impose price controls. And that means the healthcare industry is faced with some terrific prospects of benign neglect. If you believe this new initiative from Jeff Bezos, Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett, the big nonprofit they hope uh, will push down health care costs, will turn out to be much less of a threat than it seems, as people were saying all day today, then you might want to buy Kramer Fave Centene, the big provider of Medicare and Medicaid plans. Best of all, the State of the Union, no surprises. If your only witness test for the presidency is higher stock prices. Whoa, boy, was this great speech. As for all the other issues, I'm really glad to say it's not my department. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on biotech. The group may be selling off, but is it your chance to buy? The drug stocks itself. Ooh, be careful. I'm eyeing some of the high-quality names. Then, how could a wave of natural disasters last year, hurricanes, earthquakes, wildfires, impact a company like Chubb, the giant insurer? I'm talking to the CEO. And boy, has it ever been a busy year for ADP. But with U.S. employment on the rise, I'm going to sit down with the CEO who was once under siege in a proxy fight with uh, Bill Ackman. How'd that turn out? Find out what. Companies, what the company's got ahead? Stick with Kramer. Even when the averages were seesawing today, the farm and biotech stocks continue to just get slammed. Sell, sell, sell
0: the house of pain
1: uh, on this new nonprofit venture from Jeff Bezos, Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett which is meant to help, help uh contain healthcare costs to start with of course at their companies. But here's the thing. This kind of pullback can give you some nice buying opportunities, as long as you're patient enough to buy gradually on the way down and you know more importantly what you're looking for. There's some parts of the healthcare business that I am very worried about. But some of the drug and biotechs are not among them. In fact, over the past couple of weeks, quite a few biotechs and pharma companies have reported some stellar quarters. But boy, oh boy, have there also been some stinkers. So you've got to be selective. Let me give you the two I'm most excited about, AbbVie and Biogen. They both delivered fabulous numbers. So let's talk about them with the group pulling back. I'm going to start with AbbVie, the Kramer-Fay pharmaceutical business spun off by the old Abbott Labs in 2013. AbbVie's been a terrific performer. Stocks up more than 83% over the past 12 months. It's given you a 21% gain since I last highlighted it in November. But in the past two days, the stock's plunged from 122 down to 112. Bingo! That's the dip I've been looking for. I'm not saying that AbbVie's done going down, but the company reported a stunning quarter last week sent the stock surging from $108 to 123. But this pullback could be heavenly. It's giving up most of its gains. If it goes down four more points, you'll be getting the latest quarter, which was spectacular for free. I find that insane. For those of you who don't know, AbbVie makes a host of major drugs, including the best-selling drug in the entire world, Humira. That's an autoimmune therapy for rheumatoid arthritis, plaque psoriasis, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease, among other conditions. It's a remarkable drug. By 2020, the company expects this one drug to do $21 billion in sales, up from $18.4 billion last year. What a franchise. And that's not even the most exciting part of the story. When AV reported last week, they shot the darn lights out. Four-cent earnings beat off $1.44 basis, substantially higher than expected revenue, up 14% year-over-year. That's what we really want out of Pharma. Even better, management raised their full-year earnings guidance. It went from a midpoint of $6.47 up to $7.38. Takes in part to really fabulous sales forecasts. Wow. That translates into 32% earnings growth, something that's practically unheard of, for a $179 billion pharmaceutical business, and the stock's going down? Well, look, it did rally 14% in the wake of that number. What's all the more impressive is that this is not some cyclical smokestack play that's expected to raise numbers when the economy's booming. Apple just a drug company. Those are supposed to be slow and steady. Big pharma outfits almost never pull an extra dollar of earnings power out of thin air. How did this company do it? Of course, some of it's the boost from tax reform, but a lot of it comes from the fact that business is just very strong. As CFO Bill Chase explained on the conference call, Ymir is growing at a 13 to 14 percent clip. Embruvica, a targeted cancer drug for leukemia and lymphoma, expected to do more than 3.8 billion in sales. That's up 28 percent from just last year. And AbbVie sees this hepatitis C business doubling to more than 2.5 billion this year, thanks to the launch of uh, Mavret. Uh, and Mavret is their new Hep C cure. And I've got to tell you, uh, Gilead was something I liked too, but the stock is down Bailey after hours. I uh, don't understand yet. Put it all together, and you've got a terrific story. Avvi exactly the kind of drug stock that's worth buying as it goes lower. I'm glad you're getting this opportunity. And yes, it is an opportunity. Bye, bye, bye. Even if the new initiative from Jeff Bezos ends up being a serious threat to the healthcare sector as a whole, Companies like AbbVie should be just fine. Their drugs are protected by patents, which means there's very little that can hurt them short of full-on government intervention. Stocks being pulled down because of ETFs. ETFs created to mimic all the drug stocks and get away from single-stock risk. I want single-stock reward. I want AbbVie. How about Biogen International, BIIB? It's a biotech that's focused on treating neurological conditions, autoimmune disorders, and rare diseases. Last Thursday, Biogen reported a seemingly mixed quarter, but the guidance was so good that it sent the stock surging from $346 to $367 over the next two sessions. In fact, Biogen rallied $7 on Thursday before back attacking on another $14 on Friday as money managers scramble to build meaningful positions in what is the number one grower in the biotech industry right now. But thanks to the healthcare sell-off, stocks come right back down to about, 100, about 348 just like with AbbVie you're almost getting the latest numbers for free. Astonishing. Now, Biogen's headline results weren't really much to write home about. While the company's sales were much stronger than expected, up 7% year-over-year, they still posted a 19-cent earnings uh, miss off a $5.45 basis. So what's the excitement here? Well, management's guidance was excellent. Remember, in these contexts of these quarterly reports, the forward-looking guidance is much more important than the backward-looking results. Biogen forecasted that it would deliver 12.7 to 13 billion in sales this year. Wall Street was only looking for 12.7 altogether. And the company indicated it would earn $24.20 to $25.20. Street was looking for $24.16. So, what's driving this incredible strength? It's Biogen's gigantic multiple sclerosis business which includes a bunch of different drugs chugging along nicely despite some tough competition. Their new treatment for spinal muscular atrophy, a rare disease that's a leading cause of infantile death worldwide, is surging. This drug, Spinraza, and I've talked about that. Only got FDA approval a little over a year ago, and in the last quarter generated 363 million in sales. Analyze that and you know it's got a blockbuster in your hands. Makes sense. It's the only drug on the market that can treat this awful condition, and that's why the first year treatment cost $750,000. Plus, CEO Michael Venatsos, Van, who is very smart, explained that Biogen's got some major catalysts coming over the next 12 to 18 months. company has two, and I always hate to put this out there because it's been such a tough industry, two potential Alzheimer's treatments. It's just so hard to crack that code in phase three trials and another multiple sclerosis drug. Alzheimer's has historically been hard for drug companies to get a handle on. But if we get some decent data here, I expect to be very positive for the stock. And again, if Biogen's stock keeps falling, you'll be getting the company's very bullish guidance for nothing. Oh, one more thing. On Monday of last week, we found out that Sanofi is buying Bioverative. That's a small hemophilia play that that Biogen spun off. Sanofi's forking over a gigantic 64% premium to where the stock had been trading. I gave you my blessing to speculate on this one back in April, 88% gain. Why do I bring it up? Because we now have a market where larger drug and biotech companies see their stocks rally on positive earnings. And the smaller ones were higher thanks to takeovers. I'd say that's a pretty benign backdrop. And while the news about competition from this new nonprofit being created by Bezos, Diamond, and Warren Buffett, also known as the Empire Strikes Back, has suddenly turned Wall Street against the whole healthcare cohort, I think that at least some of these drug and biotech stocks are worth buying into weakness, which is why I'm doing this piece right here, right now. Not all of them, though. As we saw today, legacy big pharma plays like Eli Lilly, they just can't seem to triumph over worries about potential competition. Even when the headline numbers are ostensibly pretty good, as Lilly was, before they start talking about the diabetes franchise. My charitable trust owns Lilly. I tell you about the good ones. How about a bad one? We sold some higher, but boy, did it sting. Here's the bottom line. Yesterday, I caution you not to assume that this healthcare sell-off is an immediate buying opportunity. But the drug companies that just reported phenomenal numbers, they are worth buying right into this empire striking back. That said, the good ones only get more attractive as their stocks go lower. Remember that which is why I love that you're getting a chance to buy my two favorites so far in 2018, which are Abvi and Biogen. Anne in New York. Anne.
0: Yes. Hi, Jim.
2: I'm new to the stock market. Okay. And I've been learning a lot from watching Mad Money and NBC. so thank you for that. Of
1: course. My question is, do you think Novartis
0: is a strong company to invest in compared to similar companies?
1: It is one of the absolute best. Now, you know you're starting with an overseas company. I don't mind that, but I want to point that out. And I do think that Novartis has been among the absolute best-performing drug stocks, and bad for me that I have not focused on it, even as at one time it had been a major focus for the show. Let's go to Humberto in New Jersey. Humberto.
3: Buja, Mr. Kramer. Greetings from your home state of New Jersey. Go Eagles.
1: Oh, go Birds. Thank you so much. I'm on the bus. What's up?
3: (laughs) So I'm looking to buy Bristol Myers or pharmaceuticals in general. So I want to see your thoughts on is it a good time to invest, especially with? Uh, I am not going to bless.
1: Uh, I'm not going to bless a broad-based buy of the uh, drug stocks. There are only a few in particular that I really, really like, and my focus right now is on AbbVie and Biogen because there have been so many losers in the group. Hey, let's go to Raymond in where my daughter is, Oregon, Raymond.
2: Yes, I own some Juno Therapeutics, Jim. And I wanted to find out if if Celgene is
0: taking it over. And I've seen it being taken over at $87 a share. Right. And I also saw it at
1: $98 a share on the Internet. And I just wanted to know if it's being taken over at
2: $87 a share, is it just as well to get out of that now or to wait till after the sale? All
1: uh, right, no, you've got ka-ching, ka-ching. You're fine on that. Let's talk about Celgene for a second, though. The problem here with Celgene... They're trying to get away from Revlimid dependence, but I think Celgene is a long-term good grower. Why? Because I think Juno's going to be so good for Celgene. Well played. AbbVie and Biogen delivered some fabulous numbers. Best in show for 2018, even in the face of the empire striking back. With this pullback, I think you're getting a terrific opportunity that I did not expect to scale into them on the way down. Much more mad money ahead. Hurricanes and wildfires have had an impact on communities all over the U.S. in the past year. How is a company like Chubb one of our biggest insurers handling the action. I'm going to talk to the CEO in a rare interview. Then my exclusive with ADP. How is the company handling the activist aftermath? I'm talking with the CEO fresh off the report. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Taking a guest right out of Dave Slayer. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm taking candy from a baby. Not the first time and won't we'll no, be the
3: last. Don't we'll be You just keep going. Keep taking yes, my guests. I will. It's I my know job. you will. It's part <laughs> of my
2: job. of <laughs> Darwinism at work right part here. Part of your job. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. <laughs>
1: this week, a lot of people got worried about the insurance base when MetLife pre-announced some ugly fourth quarter numbers postponing their fully earnings release. The thing is, MetLife's not the whole industry, and there are many superior companies that provide many different kinds of insurance products, including Chubb Limited, the giant insurer created by the merger of the old Chubb with Ace Limited back in 2016. Last night, Chubb reported, and it told a story of excellent underwriting with improving property and casualty rates that got better and better as the quarter progressed. Plus, despite California wildfire losses, management sounded bullish about the company's prospects in many of its business lines, including some excellent international businesses. Hence, the stock's strong gain today to an all-time high. So can this stock, which has been a strong performer since the ACE merger, one of the absolute best in the space, continue to run? Let's check in with Evan Greenberg. He's the chairman and CEO of Chubb Limited. Hear more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Greenberg, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Jim, thanks for having me. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, This is not an easy quarter to be in the insurance business. And yet, at the same time, uh, you weathered it with a terrific balance sheet. Uh, Sorry about that pun. And also uh, told a story about things getting better and better throughout the quarter. And that's even continuing in January, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. In terms of the, you know, look, we're not going to overplay it, but the pricing environment um, has begun to improve. Um, we're in a transition market where some areas, you know, rates are beginning to respond to deficient pricing. And other areas are not yet because of competition. And we'll see how it plays in the future. But, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic. Not everyone is as disciplined as you are. Some people are going to get return,
1: big income tax gains from the federal government. How do you uh, game what they're going to do? Because
0: some companies are willing to give away the store for business. Yeah, but that's always true. We're in a, we're in a market economy, and um, some will, you know, I think at their long-term detriment, underprice their product. And if you want to ch- – this is a risk business. And if you want to chase revenue um, rather than chase a good risk-adjusted return, ultimately that's at your peril. So what do you have to do? You have to have superior product, superior service. you got to have great distribution and reach, and it's all about execution. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, you'll win in the marketplace that way. It's compelling. Well, I also
1: noticed the merger's been unbelievable. Both the, you know, people talk about cost, uh, cost takeout. Yeah. It's the cross-sell. I mean, what you were good at, uh, at what, what Ace was good at, Chubb may not have been that good at. What you were strong at, they may have been strong at. But together, right. the cross-sell's amazing. And at this point, this merger really worked.
0: It really has worked. It's, um, and, and as you say, of course, we exceeded... Um, our initial expectations by, by a mile on efficiencies and cost takeout, but it's really about one plus one equals three. The complementary strengths of the two organizations in terms of product capability and, and, and service strengths and geographic reach and distribution excellence where one was strong and the other one was stronger, um, the complementary strength of that, we are growing faster today then I believe the two companies left on their own would. And I think the compelling nature of that to the marketplace and what we can bring, that's in front of us.
1: Right, and people have to understand there have been a lot of mergers in the industry and not a whole lot of them have worked out and very few with discipline and growth. You mentioned twice now uh, superior service. Now, I am. let's talk about brand because we don't usually think about it. Before you came out, I wanted to be sure that I have maintained my Chubb VIP status. And I did that because as I grew up, my father always said, one day you will be a Chubb customer if you continue to do well. And they will give you service and they will pay if you have. This is an amazing thing. You've got the brand. And how is that maintained and why do people like me know it? I mean, how did this happen?
0: That is such, honest to God, that is such a fundamental ethos. And, and North Star of this company. Right. We Look, we're not in, in the personal insurance space. You can find cheaper insurance. Absolutely. That's, but Absolutely. you will not find coverage that is as rich. And by the way, you will not find customers as delighted when they have had a loss with the service that Chubb provides. That is what we are all about. No. And our customer retention It's off the charts. charts. And if you've had a claim with us, you're with us for life.
1: Uh, Very true. Now, I wanted to ask you about, are there areas where uh, you don't want to write anymore? I mean, more Florida flooding, uh, changing uh, uh, global warming. Are there things where you just say, listen, I don't want to take that risk?
0: No. Really? Um, No. I mean, look, you can only take risk to the wherewithal and extent of your balance sheet and your ability to buy protection as you spread the risk to global balance sheet. Um, but at the same time, as long as we can be paid properly and we can understand the risk and we can structure the risk, we will assume that risk. We can't get paid properly for, for all lines at all times and that's when you see us give up market share and we will shrink. But when we can, that's our job. And by the way, as, as climate change um, becomes a greater reality and we have more volatility, and as society through through as it becomes more affluent, urbanizes more, then there's greater concentrations and exposure. That's the insurance industry's job if we want to remain relevant. Well, these guys are the most relevant in the industry. I'm
1: proud to actually be a customer, it's true. But uh, geez, what a stock. And it just keeps winning. It sounds like it's gonna get even better. It's Evan Greenberg, Chairman and CEO of Chubb C B. That's the risk. That money's back in the break. Time, it's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? skate Daddy, time for the lightning round. It's over with Jeff and North Jeff. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Booyahski, what daddy. What's up? What do you think? Should I hang on to j and Oh, my. You know, j has been nonstop down. It's actually down for the years, down ten straight points. You know what I say? Buy, buy, buy because this is one of the highest quality companies in the world take a longer term view buy some here and then buy some if it goes below let's go to Carlos in New York Carlos how are you doing Jim all right how about you thanks a lot for taking the call uh, good course. luck on, on the Eagles uh, this coming Sunday Go Birds, what's up so here uh, STM good technologies over the- not my favorite right now action alerts we tell club members we like we like Broadcom uh, and we like we had to trim a little Nvidia because it went up too far sorry my dog but you yeah, know that's a good, that's a very good semi. Let's go to John in Michigan. John.
2: Hey Jim, love the show. Thank um, you. What do you think of Frontier Communications Preferred? Sell, sell, sell. Okay, let's go to Steve in California,
1: please. Steve. Yes, uh, Jim. Thank you for taking the call. Energy Transfer Partners. I am shocked. They the increase in distribution. Today. I've got to tell you, I no longer hate the stock. Now I'm getting lukewarm on it. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim.
3: Hey Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? I'm, I'm well, except I'm a little nervous, to be honest. Uh, that? And real quick, <laughs> just I. But real quick, I want to thank you for all your advice. Oh, I've done you. well, except when I've broken the rules. And I, it was well. my mistake. Anyway, I per- recently purchased Square, share Quebec, and I'm uh, I'm thinking about holding. it. Is that a good idea?
1: Square is. Uh about as speculative as you can get. And I would say I would only hold it if I was willing to lose at least 10 to 15% of my capital within three days. All right, of course, you could make it, too. But that's not my cup of tea. And I don't want you to violate your rules. Dave in Massachusetts. Dave! Hey, a big booyah to you, Jim, from Adams, Massachusetts. Oh, my and- daughter used to live there. What's going on? Well, my question today is about specialty minerals. Mineral technology is a spinoff of uh, Pfizer's... T-Mate, I remember it was uh, spun off. I recommended T-Mate. the stock when it was spun off. I continue to believe that it represents great value. Spice is still independent. Let's go to Daryl, New York. Daryl. Kramer, how are you? I am good. How about you? I'm good, I'm good. I just wanted to give you a call about the, black, the stock of uh, BlackBerry. I've what can it I say? It's got, it's got very good intellectual property. Continue, people continue to like it. It goes up over time. I don't mind. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex.
2: Hey, Jim, how you doing? Who are good, y'all? how are you?
1: So I'm um, calling in regards uh, so Evan Spiegel, founder of Snapchat, right. back in, uh, in August of last year, said that him and Bobby Murphy would, would not sell any stock just to show confidence. But then... Uh, it showed that they sold stock in November and December. Is that considered legal? No, 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 no. Uh, look, I, I, I don't really read the pledge. I do know this. I would not want to own that stock. There's a lot of better fish to fry, including Facebook, when it comes down 10%. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of
2: the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: A challenge from a big-name activist investor can turn a spotlight on an excellent company. Take automatic data processing ADP. that's the nation's largest payroll processor with a big human capital management business. Late last summer, ADP came under attack, curious one, frankly, from Bill Ackman's Pershing Square, who started a proxy fight, arguing that management could be doing a better job. Shareholders disagreed, management prevailed back in November, while the stock dipped a bit in response for the last two months has been slowly and steadily climbing. Sure enough, just this morning, ADP delivered a strong quarter, posting a 9-cent earnings beat off a 90-cent basis, higher than expected revenues, up 8% year-over-year, fantastic organic growth. Even better, management raised their full-year sales and earnings forecast for 2018. To be honest, this is a perfect environment for ADP. Employment is booming. According to ADP itself, the private sector added 234,000 jobs this month. And on top of that, the Fed is on track to raise interest rates multiple times this year. That matters because when your employer wires ADP their payroll budget, these guys collect interest from what's known as the float until you cash the paycheck. Hence why the stock just made a new all-time high. Can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Carlos Rodriguez, the president and CEO of Automatic Data Processing, to learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Rodriguez, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Congratulations on a great quarter. Thank you. Uh, and I, I'm trying to figure out the, I, I mean, is this not the perfect environment for ADP, frankly?
3: It's practically perfect. There could always be something that could be better, but it's practically
1: perfect. Got the rates going up. The job the job creation in this country is rather amazing right
3: now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, the, the tax cuts obviously are going to be a stimulus to the economy. Right. So it's going to, I think, obviously prolong the, uh, the recovery. Who knows how long it would have gone, but it's going to go longer now. So we're... Uh, We're excited because, obviously, as you mentioned, not only do we benefit from employment and good economic activity, but a little bit of inflation and higher interest rates, frankly, helps ADP as well.
1: All right, so let's talk about the aftermath of the proxy fight. I never quite frankly understood it because your company was very well run to begin with, but you also said that you were doing a lot of things that Ackman was uh, agitating for. Uh, Where are those things, and are they helping?
3: Well, I think that we uh, we obviously listen to all of our investors, and we listen very carefully to what Bill had to say. In fact, I've been... In touch with him so we have I think what I would call a collegial and professional really? relationship. So it's
1: certainly better than you had during that uh, kind of turmoil period. Right?
3: It's all water under the bridge right. and so I think that we uh, we felt like we had a good strategy. I think Bill had some ideas of things that we should be doing differently. I think what it really came down to is really about pace okay. and you know you can always move a little bit faster so there's nothing wrong with someone uh, pushing us to move uh, quicker and, and have a little more of a sense of urgency. So. I think we took that, and I think we're uh, we're of the, of the mind of never let a good crisis go to waste. And so I think we're, uh, we're off to the races. And as you can see, I think the performance uh, speaks for itself. Sure.
1: Now, did he call you today, to congratulate you, say maybe you should uh, love to be on the board?
3: As a matter of fact, he did call to <laughs> congratulate me. And then we had dinner, and I think we've had some conversations since then. And uh, I think it's a good, productive relationship. I mean, now. he's a shareholder. Still is. He's a shareholder, and we appreciate him being a shareholder.
1: Okay, now you've done some things that are pretty uh, radical for the old ADP. Uh, you talked a lot about in this conference call about the gig worker. You talked about this uh, global cash card. These are new initiatives that seem very in keeping with the yeah. changing nature of the workforce.
3: That's right. Well, like you said, the, the nature of the workforce is changing, and gig workers are one of the factors. And so the most popular image that people have of that is Uber and people what? kind of working – uh, on the side, but it's really across the whole economy. There's uh, approximately 35 million people who work as independent contractors or get a 1099, right. and as you know, they need to have their their uh, they need help in terms of compliance. They need help with uh, managing their finances, and the employers who use them as independent contractors need that help as well. So it opens up a whole new market for us, in addition to the W-2 employees, which are our traditional source of business.
1: Now, Carlos, some of these analysts uh, cited the fact that i um, here's here BMO note, that the uh, EBITDA, the margins were uh, below the consensus, 18, 18.9, they went; it was 18.6. Now, this was something that Bill complained about. Did Bill say, listen, the margins aren't still where I want them?
3: He, he I think he thinks that there's a lot more opportunity and upside. But uh, you've always
1: said there is, too. Of I mean, course. it's not like
3: you've said, no, I'm satisfied. That's why I don't think there's any disagreement about the potential that ADP right. has. It's really about pace. Um, so on the margin specifically, uh, we did have a little bit of pressure this quarter. The acquisitions that we made that are strategic and long-term, I think will add to the top line and to the growth of the business, put a little bit of pressure on the margin in the short term. But I think we exceeded our expectations. Right. And so I think we, from the underlying health of the business, what we see, uh, we, did, uh, we did well. We had a good quarter. And
1: you also benefited, not just the American worker, but you got a great tax rate now.
3: We did. Um, we happen to be a, uh, an, uh, a company that has a relatively high effective tax rate. And so it really adds a nice, uh, a nice chunk of change, I think, to our bottom line, and allows us potentially return more capital to our shareholders through dividends, subject to the board approval.
1: Now, uh, can you speak to the strength of the economy? I mean, a lot of, a lot of CEOs candidly try to politicize this. A lot of people politicize it. Now they say, well, listen, the real, it's not a real recovery. Or if it was real recovery, you'd see wage growth, and then we had a little wage growth. Real recovery, you'd see a lot of jobs. We're starting to get that. I mean, in the, yeah. you've been around. Strength of the economy right now? It's strong. It is. Uh, It's
3: strong. I think what's happened is these things always, you look at them month to month, and you have to look at them over longer periods of time, rolling six months, rolling 12 periods. And I think what's happened is there was so much underemployment that I think people probably under-anticipated how long it would take for the wage pressures to build up, because people had to be brought back into the labor force. But we're clearly seeing in our numbers now, and I think government numbers are starting to show, wage inflation is definitely picking up, which is actually a positive sign. And people, that's what we want. All right, one last question. Uh, there are
1: many of us out there trying to figure out the new tax code, particularly about the professional employment organizations. Who, who benefits? Who's not benefiting? What are you telling people? Because my accounts are telling me, listen, it's still not even clear.
3: Well, it is. It is. There's still a lot of uh, things that need, a lot that needs to be cleared up. I think yeah. the IRS itself, I think, needs to spend some time, I think, clarifying some things. We happen to be a fiscal year company that has July 1st as our fiscal year start. And so there's questions now about what things apply as of the date of the law, or does it go retroactive to the beginning of the fiscal year, or do you get to take advantage through the end of your fiscal year? So I think there are a lot of questions still up in the air. So definitely a full-time employment for tax professionals. Yes,
1: it sure is. Well, t- congratulations again, and I'm glad things have kind of worked out. I like that water under the bridge. Uh, this, it's Carlos Rodriguez, Presidency of Automatic Data Processing, ADP. This is stock that I've liked since the show began. I like it even more. Stick with Kramer. I always say, don't trust headlines. Listen to conference calls. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what happened on Facebook. As the call went on, the confidence of management was overwhelming. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim
2: Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.